Those are some wild announcements. Wow. Crazy woman. Amen, 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 amen. Well, you glad to be in church? Yeah? Look at you. You look amazing. Come on, look around. Look at one another. Isn't this an amazing group of people? Yeah? Oh, my goodness. What a blessing. I want, I want to read um, out of Jeremiah 29.11 as we start this morning. Just kind of set the tone for how God is calling you to great things. God is, God is seeing great things over your life. And, uh, and he, he wants to quicken your perspective to see those things as well. Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you have that one kind of like memorized? For I know the plans that to prosper you and not for calamity. Plans to give you a future and a hope. How many of you know God has plans for you? A plan is like a preordained, like a design, like something carved out, like something written, like something, uh, 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 something that, that we look at to build toward, right? And so, Father, we just, we just welcome right now that throughout this, the remaining time that we have together this morning, That we, that we begin to see one another and see ourselves after the manner of those plans. That you quicken our hearts, that you open the eyes of our understanding, that we not only see inwardly those plans that you've ordained, good plans, plans to prosper us, plans of hope, plans to give us a future that is rich, but we begin to see that about and over one another as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said. So we've been introducing the idea the last uh, few weeks, and uh, Chris really started this off, kicked us off into a kingdom culture, thinking about the culture of the kingdom. And, and what it's like, the culture of heaven, the culture of heaven on earth. And that's what we, we get to bring. We are, we're privileged to, to walk in actually bringing the culture of heaven to earth. I was, uh, I was encouraged, I was inspired that that's one of the places, one of the ways in etymology where the root word comes from, that where apostle comes from that it was interesting to learn that the word apostle was, was used in the Bible days as a Roman word to signify those who were left in a conquered region to bring the culture of Rome to that region. That was apostolic ministry. Apostolic ministry in a secular understanding, was to bring the culture of Rome 
When in Rome, do as the Romans do. How long is that? How long is that? How many of you have heard that before? Come on, hands up everywhere if you've heard that before. What? Think about that. How has that little trite expression permeated our Western culture? And do we realize that the apostolic ministry, is it okay if I use the word ministry and not be spiritual? That we have a ministry of education? Right? So the word ministry comes from the word doma in the Greek, and it means one who serves. Right? So the apostolic ministry of Rome in a conquered land was to bring the kingdom of Rome, the culture of Rome, to that land. We, through our conqueror, are serving in a conquered land. We are serving under the apostolic ministry of Jesus. We have a privilege, a power, an anointing, and a mandate to bring the culture of heaven to this conquered land. Is that okay? Two of you got excited. I mean, that was, that was, that was like, it must have been such a deep revelation that it, it went right past all of you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That when you, when you wake up in the morning, everywhere you go, all that you do, your connection with Jesus is not just so you'll go to heaven, and it's not just so that you've got this forgiveness status, but your connection with Father through Jesus, your connection with the heavenly realm, your connection in that you're already seated in high places, you're already with Him, you're already a citizen of that realm, is, is so that you would be not just a partaker of heaven, but an import, ambassador, an, an apostle. You would function under the apostolic ministry of heaven, and you would be bringing heaven wherever you go. Sometimes that's hope. Sometimes that's joy. You know, last week we were talking about how that unconditional love is a miracle. You know, we look at the fruit of the Spirit and we're like, oh, I would rather choose, you know, the gift of faith or I would rather choose the gift of miracles or I think I would rather have discerning of spirits. We, you know, we look over at the supernatural gifts and we're like, you know, the, I think these uh, nine supernatural gifts out of 1 Corinthians 12, I think these are more cool. I'd rather function in these. But I'm telling you that the fruit of the Holy Spirit within you is a miracle. Love, joy, peace, those fruits of the indwelling Word, the indwelling Holy Spirit, those are miracles as well that are not to be despised. And both of those constitute governing forces of the culture of the kingdom of heaven that we are privileged to be transformed by and privileged to bring wherever we go. Right? Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18. You know, Ephesians chapter 6 says, put on the full armor of God, right? And then it tells us what the full armor of God is, tells us about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, right? And then it says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Wherever you go, 
in this armor, you're bringing the influence that brings peace. Isn't that cool? So we're bringing heaven. Last week, we talked about love a little bit. I want to springboard off of that. The week before that, we talked about unity. And the framework for unity is really, it is specific. The unity, the body of Christ is called to, church to church, nation to nation, denomination to denomination. What we're going to see as we progress in the growth of the kingdom is not the unity of a denomination. We're going to continue to see a unity that rallies around Jesus. So Ephesians 4, 11 through 15 says that he gave apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, he names five things, that they might equip, they might build up, edify the church, the people of God, unto the work of ministry, the work of Doma, serving, right? And then it goes on to say, until we all come unto the unity, until we all attain unto the unity of the faith that belongs. Let's look at it. You're wondering how much I can say without looking. And I was about to make a big mistake, so... And I felt you thinking it. So then I thought I better look. Attain to the unity of the faith that belongs to Jesus, the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a mature man, and he defines that, to the nature of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. So this is the work that, you know, when we read then in Ephesians Five, that he's coming back for a glorious church. I think that's the kind of church that he's coming back for. He says these gifts have been given to the body of Christ and that he's bringing us into a very distinct unity. It's a unity that is measured by the fullness of the stature that belongs to Jesus. How many of you excited? This is what the Holy Spirit's doing with you. Is this cool? Every day the Holy Spirit's doing this with you. He is perfecting you into the full stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Then it goes on. I don't know if we have the rest of it. But then it goes on to say, then we will speak the truth in love. And then it goes on. Do we have the rest of it? As a result, we'll no longer be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, we won't have all of this division. You might go to a Baptist church or an Assembly of God church, a Foursquare, a non-denom church, or a Catholic church, and you're going to find that when you walk into those places, they're going to be saying pretty much what you heard at the other place. What is up here? How come? I mean, I thought, I would thought we would have some distinction here. I thought we had some competition here. I thought, but as we... As we continue to move toward the unity that God ordains, then the ministry of revelation in the church upon the body of Christ will continue to move to perfect us into the fullness of the stature that belongs to Him. And we will find that divisions, even though there might be names, doctrinal divisions are going to be 
removed, removed, removed progressively, and we're going to be flowing together. We're going to be working together. We're going to be loving together. We're going to be loving one another, and we're going to be, instead of disparaging or cursing one another and thinking we're competing with one another, we're going to be complimenting one another. We're going to be building up one another. We're going to be honoring one another. Isn't that cool? Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all, spe- all aspects into, un- into him who is the head, even Christ. Waiting. It's coming. It's there. From whom the whole body being fit and held together by what every joint supplies. The whole body being fit and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of up of itself a mature people in the full measure of the stature of Christ build themselves up building up of itself in what in love in love this is uh this is again kind of uh, what I want I wanted us to consider today and work on today is love, and I want us to think on love unto honor. Love unto honor. Last week, we talked about how the culture of heaven, the culture of the kingdom, is unconditional love one to another. And today, I want to move that into thinking about also that the culture of heaven the culture that heaven operates in is welcome in, a culture that invites heaven, that, par- that, that cooperates with heaven, a, a culture that feels like heaven is a culture also of honor. And honor springs up out of unconditional love. And uh, I want us to read and go to uh, that one verse that we had talked about last week as well, First John By this, love is perfected with us so that we have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love is casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So this is interesting. As we think about love and what love would look like in our body, in our midst, one to another, Christian to Christian, as we think about what love would be and then how that would how that would set the foundation for honor, then I think it's healthy to think on a few things here. That, that the goal, and you saw it listed there frequently in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says we're going to grow up into love, we're going to grow up, and the fullness of the stature of Jesus corresponds with love, and we're going to speak the truth in love. Notice we don't withhold truth, but we speak the truth in love. And then he says, in love, we'll actually build up one another by what every joint supplies unto each other, right? 
So this is this is maturity, and this is I think it's a a major heaven to earth goal that Father has in mind for us, and it involves as we see here in First John four, it involves moving from a fear of punishment to with regard to a fear of punishment with regard to relationships rights and wrongs difficulties moving into being perfected by love instead of perfected out of punishment have any of you ever made a behavioral change out of a fear of punishment Hopefully everybody in the room has made some kind of a behavioral change out of a fear of punishment. Remember when your wife wanted to leave you, guys? Okay. Thank you. All right. And what the Lord is trying to say is that perfect love actually operates in a higher realm. That there is a love that actually causes inward change, and that love is more powerful than the fear of punishment. And not only does Father operate that way, and I was telling you last week, he's not in a mood to punish you. Father's mood toward you, even when you blow it, is not a mood to punish you. He would rather instruct you out of it. He would rather lead you out of it. He would rather love you out of it. He would rather coach you out of it. He would rather visit you with friendship out of it. He would rather draw you out of it. He, he's not in a mood to punish you out of it. That's not the way he operates. He is perfect love. Now, if you stay in your problem long enough, you open the door for the enemy to touch you. And when the enemy tags you, you think God's beating you up. But it wasn't God. It was you staying in your mess too long. Don't stay in your mess. Get out of your mess or you will have a skewed view of God. This father you have loves you so richly, so deeply. He is so patient. He is so long-suffering with you that he can bear with your mistake and love you out of it. That's what we're shouting about right there. Now, let's, let's set the stage. We're setting the stage for honor. And I want to just say a couple things leading into that. We tend to function in a rule-driven culture, and especially the church. The church tends to function in a rule-driven culture. A rule-driven culture rewrites a person's identity when they struggle or fail. A rule-driven identity distanced or culture distances me from a person who's struggling or failing. Now, I really don't want to be associated with failure. I'd rather associate with success. Hey, are you really cool? Let me get near you. Are you like really winning? Oh, I want to be your buddy. Everybody, the word says everybody wants to be the friend of a rich man. But even the closest relatives run from a poor man. Why is that? Because they've not understood. They've not understood Father's heart. They've not laid hold of unconditional love. But it's a reality. We don't want that reality to dominate our culture. 
But this is a rule-driven culture. A rule-driven culture withholds some of my affection from a person who's struggling or failing. A rule-driven culture gives me permission to withhold some of my affection from a person who is struggling or failing or faltering. A rule-driven culture feels that it must distance itself from sin or failure. I get to withhold my love from you when you've broken the rules because people who've broken the rules are unworthy of love. They deserve to be punished. That's what a rule-driven culture tells us. But when I withhold affection, I automatically release rejection. I automatically release and cooperate with the fear of rejection I'm starting to partner with fear, and I'm outside of perfect love. As he is, so also are we in this world. We're called to be like him. We're equipped, we're anointed, we're blessed to be like him. As he is, so also are we in this world. And perfect love dismisses fear, because fear is associated with punishment. And yet, We can partner with this. When a person operates out of the fear of punishment, we can expect things to go wrong, can't we? We can expect rejection because we blew it. Anybody ever blown it? We can expect judgment. We can expect to be kept from high places. This is part of a rule-driven culture, by the way. We can expect that a sin will result in calamity. We might look for lightning bolts to land around us. When we mess up, we wonder if we, we ever measure up. We doubt that we have the favor or the blessing of God. We interpret trouble as judgment and punishment. You ever done that? But God doesn't want us to operate in this rule-based culture and then depend upon the fear of punishment to be setting the tone for behavioral change when he's got a higher realm for us, and he's got a higher realm corporately for us also, one to another, and that's perfect, unconditional love that has attached to it honor. Now, let me just give you a couple thoughts, uh, and I want to read to you out of Job chapter 1, verse 9. And Revelation 12.10. I think we don't realize that in this dispensation of Christ, in this dispensation of what Jesus has done for us, the perfect man representing us before the Father, we don't realize that when we partner with the fear of punishment, when we partner with judgment, when we partner with rejection, we're partnering with the accuser. Job chapter 1, Satan replies, Would Job worship you if he got nothing out of it? You've always protected him and his family and everything he owns. You bless everything he does. You've given him enough cattle to fill the whole country. But now suppose you take everything else away or everything away he has away. He will curse you to his face. We find in the book of Job that Satan appears as the accuser. 
we see he maintains this status, and this is a position that he operates in, and it's kind of typical that he would be seen. I mean, this is his, a part of the framework of his nature, we could say, or we could say this is the culture of Hades, the culture of hell. Do we want maybe to compare the two, culture of heaven, culture of hell, culture from above, culture of God, culture of the demonic realm. Well, the culture of the demonic realm is a culture of accusation. Revelation 12, 10, again, I'm just saying this is his nature. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brethren, our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. I'm reading this only for you to see this is his role. A role that that he has, a role that he plays, in other words, something that flows naturally out of his nature, and unfortunately, guess whose nature we were first partakers of? Yeah, his. The nature we came with from the factory was fashioned after his. So this is something, this is part of what we have to bring to the cross. Part of what we have to crucify well. We can't, like, be justifying an attitude, a perspective, a heart of the accuser because, well, that's the only way I can deal with those people. Well, they just deserve it. Well, they keep messing up. We, we, have, to, we have to embrace the heart of the Lord, yes? It's Satan's nature to find fault. It's his nature to slander. It's his nature to expose. It's his nature to cross-examine. It's his nature to point out. It's his nature to disqualify. It's his nature to blockade. It's his nature to derail. And, and I fear, even for me, I, I'm, I, I want to be super, super cautious. I, I, I fear for me that that nature has a manifestation through me. I don't want that. I don't want that because that nature is working, seducing, speaking to, being manifest, coming up in me, and I'm not recognizing it, then I'm partnering with the accuser. I'm partnering with the enemy, and I don't even realize it, but it's hindering the culture of heaven in our midst, and it's sabotaging the perfect love that God has called us to, that God operates in, that parallels and corresponds with heaven coming. Come on, heaven come. Heaven come. We want the culture of heaven here. Yes? Amen? What if we're partnering with Satan instead of with the Lord? Satan writes people off, Father writes them in. Satan demotes, Father promotes. Now, I want to speak to you out of the realm of familiarity. Out of that that framework. You know, it's interesting. Uh, let's go to Mark 6. Uh, it's interesting with regard to familiarity. See, I think that the most challenging honor relationships, and so just moving into, again, building on love, we want to take this into honor. And we want to see that the accuser is fighting honor in our midst. He's fighting honor in our midst. 
The accuser is contradicting honor in our midst. And the spirit of the accuser is very powerful and, and, and real to point out failures, faults, history, mistakes, goof-ups, flub-ups, imperfections. He's a genius. And we can almost pride ourselves as, as being a genius that way too. Yeah, I see what's wrong with them. Oh, yeah, man, if, if I could just tell them what to do. Oh, come on, don't tell me you've never had those inward conversations. Don't tell me you've never had those powwows around the dinner with your spouse. Looking all smug and holy out there like that. The most challenging honor relationships are the relationships of the deepest friendship, intimacy, transparency. Usually, the more we know about a person, the more we know of their shortcomings. This is what happened in Mark chapter 6. It's recorded. Uh, We've heard it said, you know what a professional is? What's a professional? A person from another city with a briefcase. The Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about a prophet is... He's known everywhere except for in his own hometown. This is what Jesus said. We want somebody to profit. Bring Johnny Inlow in, please. Bring, you know, bring, come on. Bring James Gall in. Bring bring some real prophet. I I don't want Sister Susie from the church to be prophesying over me. They got to be from another city and have a briefcase at least. Maybe a website, you know. At least a Facebook page. You know, that's a prophet. Sister Susie from the back row, Lord have mercy. Come on, we know she's never heard from God a day in her life. Besides that, she can't even balance her budget. Mark chapter 6, Jesus left there, went to his own hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they said, this is in his own hometown. And they said, where did this man get these things? And they asked him, where, where, what's this wisdom that's been given to him? And what are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us as well? And they took offense at him. Now, here's something interesting is that to partner with the accuser is to take offense with people who God is honoring, God is elevating, God is arousing, God is stirring up, God is quickening something in them, God is declaring, like we read out of Jeremiah 29, 11, hope and plans for them, but we take offense with them because we know them. Who do they think they are? I've known them since they were four. I've known them. Who? What? It is kind of amazing what they said, but I, I can't, I can't believe that. Jesus said to them, here's his comment, a prophet is not without honor. In other words, a prophet has lots of honor except in his own town. 
among his own relatives and in his own home, and he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Familiarity. We have to be careful that we don't allow familiarity to blind our eyes to the greatness that God has ordained in those around us. We have to be very careful that we don't let familiarity keep us from putting wind in the wings of those around us. We need to be super careful that that we aren't falling prey to this, this very thing and, and contempt, we've heard the saying, and I looked it up. It's an, old, it's an old adage, right? Familiarity breeds contempt. Why would familiarity breed contempt? Well, it could be out of jealousy. It, it could be uh, uh, out of a fear. I'm going to get left behind. I'm, I'm seeing this person kind of develop. Or it could be just the analysis of judgment. I see all their weaknesses. I see all of the, what they've done wrong. I know their history. So... I, you know, and so you look at people, potentially the people that you know the best, with kind of a scoffing, a distrust, a scorn, a shaming. So what are you doing when you're doing that? You're working with the accuser. You're contradicting perfect love. Not only that, you're demanding. You're demanding that you will not show them honor until through proper punishment they bring behavioral modification. Once they bring appropriate behavioral modification due to your punishment and others that you've joined with you around them, then you'll begin to show them appropriate love, which is now conditional love instead of unconditional love, which is conditional honor instead of unconditional honor, which is not seeing them who they are in Christ, but withholding out of judgment. Let's, let's read what love is, and I'm gonna, uh, I want to show you reminded. Everybody still okay? I want us to read what love is out of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and following. This is fun because this corresponds with what we read in Ephesians 4, and this corresponds with what we read in 1 John 4. Yeah, everybody okay? Stretch, bump somebody, hurt somebody with a, just a hurt of love, just for a moment. Make sure people around you are awake. But listen to this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. This is a new international. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. There goes that punishment thing I wanted to do. I mean, they just don't measure up. They just don't have it. I mean, they don't have it together. I just, I just want to hurt them a little bit, and then maybe they'll get it. But I can't even keep record of wrongs. Ah! Love does not delight in evil or in their wrong. Oh, they blew it again. <laughs> oh, they'll never get it. They're so stupid. No delight in that. There's no delight in that. 
Right? Their love is moving you. Oh, they're, they're coming up. They're coming up to who they are. They're coming up to the fullness of what God's called them to. Oh, they might have stumbled right there, but, but they're going to they're gonna have it on the next one. They're going to have it on the I'm going to call them right now and let them know I believe in them so much. I'm going to call them right now and let them know that, that that stumble, don't let that stumble affect you. You keep moving. You keep going. Love rejoices with truth. Love always protects. Oh, have you heard about? Have you heard about what they have you heard about what they did? Oh my goodness, you can't believe I mean they did they just keep doing this. Oh, they did it again last week. Come here. I'm only telling you so you'll pray about it. Don't tell anybody about this unless you ask them to pray too. Love always protects. Love will always trust. Love will always hope. Trust? Trust them? Trust them? When they've blown it so many times? Hope? Hope in them when they, when they keep on messing up? Love always perseveres. And this unconditional love that we are partakers of, as he is, so are we. As he is, so are we. As he is, so are we in this world. This unconditional love that we're partakers of never fails. Never fails. Never fails. Never fails. You can call me on your worst day, and I'm going to love you. You're going to love me. Can I call you on my worst day? And you're going to love me. We're going to love each other. We're going to build up one another. This is what love does. It's the culture of heaven. Love promotes honor. Rules promote judgment. Love promotes dignity. Rules promote debasing. Love honors according to office and calling. But rules remove honor until character is perfect. Love honors according to what Christ has done for every person who is now hidden in him. How many of you are hidden in Christ today? Then you have a representative who has restored you to sonship, who has restored you to your purpose, who has restored you to power over the enemy, who's restored you to your provision. And I, under that way, I'm going to put upon you that dignity that you are hidden in him and that your history is behind you. One last scripture, and the band is coming. This will be our first close. 2 Corinthians 5.16. So from now on, here's what it says. Paul writes this. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ. Now, what he's saying is, you know what? For years, we knew, we knew Jesus, we knew Christ as Jesus. That's how we knew him. We knew he was the carpenter's son. We knew he was just a man. We knew he had all these limitations. We, we weren't sure if we should receive everything that he had to say. We knew him after the manner of the flesh. But now, we don't know him that way any longer. 
There's been a revolutionary change. He's conquered death and hell and the grave. We saw him go up with 500 witnesses in the clouds. We know that he is the Son of God. We know something different about his nature that we didn't know before. And you know what? We don't consider the natural realm as that which is his identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they too are a new creature. They too will be regarded with honor. They too will be seen differently. If anyone is hidden in Christ, if anyone is found in Christ, they too will be honored as though they are knit together with the victorious one. Let's stand this morning. Honor sets a person apart. Actually, Jesus has set every person apart, but honor partners with Jesus. Honor is coming into agreement with what he has done, giving a person dignity, the dignity of their office, their calling, and the future that God has prepared for them. It doesn't mean we ignore sin or shortfall or wrongdoing. It means we refuse to move in condemnation judgment and punishment we continue to move toward one another in restoration and part of what we faithfully moment by moment bring to the cross when we consider the portion of our sinful nature that we're crucifying we want to keep this crucified is a partnership with the accuser Heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. I want to just ask you to consider renouncing a partnership with the accuser this morning. If you've let bitterness, injury, hurt, accusation, fault finding, disregard, if you've let some of these synonyms of dishonor of accusation if you've let some of those synonyms kind of rattle around in your soul and get developed on the inside of you the Holy Spirit is just inviting you this morning to lay that at the foot of the cross I'm going to open the front as well and ask the prayer team to come it could be you're here giving your life back to the Lord Father is just receiving you with open arms it could be you're here and you're conquering some other realm where the enemy's been harassing you. I want to invite you before we close this morning, come up and receive prayer. It could be you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is healing your physical body. It could be that you're here this morning and there is some addiction or bondage or fear and you want to leave at the altar. You want to leave. You want to walk out of here free. The Holy Spirit is here delivering us from that kind of influence. He's rich in our midst. But I want to go back to just quickly the word that we're receiving this morning. Asking you, even right now, with eyes closed, heads bowed, eyes closed, just begin to renounce partnership with the accuser. Begin to, begin to put that on your lips. And while I'm talking even, just it, it, it just can be a whisper tone. It doesn't have to be overt, loud, 
just you separating yourself from accusation, from fault finding, from picking things apart, from amplifying imperfection. Because this is part of what hinders the culture of honor. This is such a major part of what hinders a culture of honor. The culture of heaven. We allow this fault-finding spirit to be justified through wisdom, through protection, through boundaries, through safety. Whatever argument we've created within, partnering with the accuser is not what God has for us. Lord, we just receive of you this morning unconditional love. We know every person around us is frail. Every person around us has vulnerabilities. Every person around us has weaknesses. We choose, rather than contempt and dishonor, we choose unconditional love. We choose to cheer for them. We choose to rally around them. We choose to love them richly. We choose to encourage them. We choose to pray for them. We choose to bless them. We choose to be prophetic voices that call them up to who they are rather than condemn them for what we see. We just agree this is the culture here in our midst. This is the culture of this house. This is the culture that we choose, the culture that we run to, the culture of honor, the culture of unconditional love, one to another. We build up one another. We supply a building and block in every person around us. We bring them order. We bring them encouragement. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.